Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 300 speaker files, links for you to describe to the podcast, and a place where you can donate to keep the special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Lady Jane. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Jane, um, and I'm Hi, Jane. over here. I'm really nervous. <laughs> um, you know, I, I had to uh, I had to pray and meditate in my car before um, I came here, and I do it anytime I'm asked to lead. And the 10 minute meditation it seemed so like so long because I was so so nervous. And um, it's funny because I walk in and, and I all three of the people that have ever sponsored me in this program are all here. <laughs> course, the one time I'm ever asked to lead this meeting, all three are here. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I was sitting and, and my sponsor, Michael, walked in and he handed me uh, a letter and uh, told me to open it. And it was a letter that I wrote to God a year and three months ago um, that I totally forgot that I ever wrote. And... Um, I remember, I, I totally forgot about it, and he was like, did you remember writing that? And I was like, no, and I, you know, I, he had me write that letter when I first started working with him um, and told me to write a letter to God and telling him what, what I wanted my life to look like in a year. And um, I was sitting in that chair reading that letter, and almost every single thing has come true. Um, and the things that haven't happened yet are, I've experienced a lot of recovery around them, and um there's very a very strong possibility that they're going to happen soon. And, um, you know, it's so amazing. I, I don't even remember writing that letter until I walked in and he was like, I was like, I totally forgot I wrote it. And he, there were coffee stains on that envelope from a year ago, you know, like I it must have been hiding away in his apartment somewhere. And I remember sitting on his living room floor reading that out loud to him. And I was like, how the hell, how the hell am I, are these things going to come true? I and uh, I'm so floored um, because they all have come true. Um, I guess I'll talk about a little bit about my background. So um, when I came into this program, I was absolutely just on my knees. Um, I, I suffered from severe anxiety and severe depression. Um, my life was very, 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 very small. Um, I just moved back from living in Germany, um, and I... My day basically looked, I started therapy right when I came back, and um, my days basically looked like I was working at a restaurant from hostessing, from like, you know, three or four hours a day, right, like a lunch shift. So I'd wake up, um, sleep in, wake up, get ready for work, um, muster up all the energy that I had to put on my face so that I was okay um, and that I was perfect and whatever it is that I wanted people to think of me. And... um, I'd work from, you know, 11 to 3. I'd go home, and um, if I wasn't binging that day, I was starving. So, uh, you know, I would just do whatever I was doing as I was obsessing about food and then um, isolate in my room and watch DVDs uh, for, like, hours. And then um, when it came to 6 or 7, I'd either eat dinner or binge before, and then I'd go to a meeting. And then if I didn't do it before, I'd eat dinner or binge after the meeting. 
and um, that's pretty much what my life looked like from Monday through Friday. Um, and I was 21. Um, so, growing up, growing up, uh, I everything that I ever did was um, to get some kind of affection or approval from my mom. Everything. Um, and I grew up believing that whatever, like, everything about my self-worth and self-validation came from other people. So grades, image, how thin I was, what clothes I wore, um, what boyfriend I had, all of it. And uh, my mom was a workaholic and uh, very emotionally unavailable and didn't know how to show me affection or love in the way that I needed. Uh, my father was um, abusive because he did not know how to express his um, anger or emotions. So anytime I got in trouble, I, um, he was abusive toward me, and that's how... Um, that's how he, you know, that was his parenting for him, you know, because he grew up in a very dysfunctional household as well. Um, and so that made me grow up with this severe anxiety around my dad and um, severe anxiety around my mom because I was never good enough. And so I'd go to school, I'd wake up each day and try to, like, get the best grades and starve and, you know, um, do whatever it took to be enough for my mom. And, of course, they'd come home with a 91, and it was like, you know, why didn't you get an A? And I'm like, Mom, a 91 is an A. And she's like, no, you could have done better. And, and in her, her eyes, it was like she knew that I was capable of, of being the best. But it was like I just wanted her to tell me, you did great. You know, what you your best, what your efforts, whatever you can do, um, is enough, and so uh, of course it never was. And I spent many years going to the butcher for milk, and never really learned that um, until I came into these rooms that she was never going to have milk. She was never, no matter how many times I went to her, she was never going to tell me what I needed. Um, so this disease started really early on, and um, for me it was always a strong obsession to be normal and fit in. And when I was in middle school, I grew up in L.A. Um, going to private schools, and I was always predominantly white. So I was always one of the few Asian girls. And such a strong obsession for me when I was in middle school was, like, I just – I wanted to be, like, one of the white girls, and I never thought I was pretty because I wasn't. And I just – I thought that if I did look like that, then I would be normal. I would fit in, and um, I just had to get thin, and it would, it would be great, you know. And so um, – Constant self-loathing, self-hatred, always trying to be thinner, uh, better, prettier, um, and and always hating myself, really. It was always an undercurrent. I can remember that since, like, I can remember it since, I think, I was 12, 6th grade. I can remember it. Um, so I started high school, and um, that's when my disease really got strong. Um, I went to a really, really academically challenging high school. And, of course, for me at that time, grades and body and image was everything. So everything on the outside, while inside I was dying, inner life was completely neglected, and, and I was very sick. I had a very severe soul sickness. Um, and uh, so when I became – so basically uh, junior year, I um, – became severe from ranging from compulsive overeating and trying to starve and binging and going back and forth from ninth grade and 10th grade and then junior year I became anorexic 
and um, I would isolate in my car during lunch. I remember I'd just be like, okay, just make it through lunch, and I'd probably have, like, an apple, and then um, I'd isolate in my car all through lunch, and um, as junior and seniors, we were allowed to leave campus, and I'd isolate in my car in the parking lot, and I'd eat my, like, bar for the day. Um, and then I, after lunch, I would, you know, go continue on in school and trying to be, like, of course, you know, it was just like a rat race trying to compete with all these really just intelligent people. And I was never, for me, it, I had to work for it, you know. And um, I just said, oh, I can, as long as I don't eat till the end of the day, you know. And then I wouldn't eat until the end of the day. And then I'd go home and, I don't know, run or something. Yeah, I'd run on my treadmill for, with the energy I had for, like, all I could do was about 25 minutes um, because I just had no energy. And then I'd, I'd try to, I'd study in between or whatever free time I had, um, trying to keep just the image of grades up. And then I'd pass out at like 8 because I was so exhausted. And then I'd wake up and I'd do it again. And I did that pretty much all of junior year. Um, and it was absolutely miserable. Um, senior year... I, what happened was I lost control and I couldn't stop eating anymore. And um, I, my disease really manifested in the binging and the compulsive overeating. So um, I, at that point, I was 20 pounds thinner than I am now, maybe more. And um, I started to gain weight again. And um, my solution at the time was running away to uh, the East Coast because I was going to college and I thought, oh, if I lived in the East Coast and was like in New York or Boston, you know, then it would be much better if I got away from my family and out of my house. So um, I got accepted into university on the East Coast and I ran away. And that's when I hit my first bottom. Um, I applied to live in a single in um, the dead of cold in Boston. So I had no roommate, so it was perfect because I can isolate and eat at the same time. Um, and there was a Whole Foods right around the corner from um, where I lived. So I, I remember it was freezing outside and snowing, and I, you know, I, was, I had to buy a whole new wardrobe. I didn't even know what North Face was until I moved out there. <laughs> um, so they were, everyone was like, you don't, what's North? You know, I, I had to start over. I was just like, no, I, I don't know. And so I had this whole new whatever. I was North Face out and walking to Whole Foods, and I remember, like, I was trying the grapefruit diet, right? So I'd, I'd walk because no one drives, right, on the East Coast. Everyone walks or take the, the, the tea. And I'd walk with these two plastic bags, like triple bag of, of grapefruits. Because Whole Foods was right there. So I, I'd do it and I'd be like, this is great. You know, I'm going to start this new leaf and turn over and I'm going to eat so healthy. No more of this compulsive eating. I'm going to go back to, my, back to the days when I was so controlled about food and I could, you know, when I was thin. Um... So I remember walking, sweating, and it was freezing outside, windy, you know, and it was snowing, and I was sweating from walking these blocks with grapefruit, <laughs> bags of grapefruit, and uh, opened my mini fridge in my, in my single dorm and filled it with grapefruit. So there was water bottles <laughs> and grapefruit, I'm, seriously, and, um, and no one ever came over, so it's not like I ever had, you know, I keep junk food, actually, I keep like a bags of chips or whatever to offer people if they ever had to, like, present an image of, like, oh, yeah, I'm normal. Um, and so I tried that, and it lasted about a day and a half. <laughs> um, and yet, I, and, and I never learned, though, because after the grapefruit diet, it was something else. And there was always a Whole Foods accessible where I could do some crazy other diet, you know. Um, when I was going to school at Northeastern, there, we had, I had a meal plan. I didn't know anybody. I knew one person, and I moved there. I didn't know a single soul. Um, 
and so I had to learn where the market was, how to take the tea, I had to do all of it, um, just asking that one person and, and learning myself. And so I, I felt incredibly isolated, and I was also breaking up from a really unhealthy codependent to your relationship. So I was withdrawing in two ways from um, my family, my friends, from anything I knew, anything similar, any of my surroundings that I was comfortable with, as well as um, a completely codependent relationship, and then um, trying to figure out um, it's still in denial that I had an eating disorder. For me, it was just I had a lack of control. I had no self-will. You know, it wasn't an eating disorder. Um, so what I started to do is when I wasn't trying to diet effectively, I would use my meal card that had a certain amount of meals a week. I think it had like 12. So every time you swipe it, you go and it's a buffet. And I'd meet people there at 4 to, like, do homework, and then we'd eat. And then I'd meet people there down at, like, 7, and then I'd eat again because they didn't know, you know. And um, on the, I'd grab cookies and wrap them in napkins and put them in my huge North Face pockets. <laughs> and then I'd, I'd walk back in the snow, like, eating my cookies, you know. It was awful. And then I'd go back, and I'd, you know, I... I I always had to have a DVD obsession to help numb me out. So at that time, I was 24. So I'd, I was, like, on season three of 24, and I'd go, and I'd be like, okay, and do whatever, and I'd mesh myself with that show to uh, try to forget about my life. And I'd eat cookies. And um, so when I wasn't going to Whole Foods on my healthy kick and being like, this time I'm going to do it, you know, this time I'm going to have self-control, I was um, at the – at the dining hall, uh, edging my brains out. <laughs> and um, it was definitely the first bottom that I hit, and it was miserable. I was so miserable. I'd sit, I'd sit in my room and cry and cry, and no one really even knew I was there um, unless – I mean, they did, but not really. And there were times where I'd go through to numb myself by being social. So I'd be overly social, never sleep. I'd come home at 4 in the morning, and then I'd sleep till 2 the next day, and then – you know, it was always two extremes, um, and it was so lonely. No one knew that I had an eating disorder. Um, my parents didn't know, and I and I did it to myself because I loved to present an image that everything was okay all the time. Um, because, God forbid, you see that I'm vulnerable and that I'm not perfect. Then, of course, then you wouldn't approve of me, um, and then you wouldn't love me, or you wouldn't like me, and that... Again, my whole self-worth and, and everything to me was whether or not people liked me. So um, after I did that for every day for a year, um, in between two extremes, and I decided I couldn't I couldn't live in Boston anymore. I was freezing to death, and I was just so sick. <laughs> so I came back. Um, of course, I gained a lot of weight. I gained um, probably 15, 20 pounds or something. I mean, all I did was eat or try not to eat. What they, usually the eating was great at, and then the not eating would last a day. So obviously at the end of the day, you know, I'd, I'd end up higher on the scale because I could never not eat for longer than a couple of days. Um, but in my head, I was still like, I, I did it once. You know, I was anorexic. I, I could do it again. You know, I did in high school. I was this weight. It was my gold dream weight. And, and yet I didn't want to remember that I was miserable. I, I never was happy with it. Um, so I, I, I moved back. I was transferred to um, a school in L.A., um, a university, a private university. And what happened was uh, I discovered Adderall. So um, I joined. I started taking Adderall, and it gave me everything that I'd ever wanted, the energy to get the grades, 
be involved in everything um, and not eat and do it all over again the same the next day, you know, without a blink of an eye. So um, I started taking Adderall slowly. I, I lied to my therapist. I went to doctor and I said all the right things and she diagnosed me with ADD, which I don't have. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I got a prescription as much as I wanted, really. Um, at first it was 10 milligrams. And then um, I started taking more every day because I loved it. I, I loved being high off of it. I loved it. Um, and at, at the time, I had, there was no obvious repercuss- repercussions. So I started taking that every day, and eventually it got to, uh, I got her to diagnose me with 20 milligrams a day, and then I was taking, um, at one point, up to eight pills a day or more, between 100 to 150 milligrams of Adderall a day. Um, just popping them. Anytime I felt get lower, I just popped it popped it in and it worked um, and when I was running out of my dosage because I did a lot of math being like how much I could get um, in the month and when I knew that I'd run out by tomorrow if I didn't if I took more today I would just take drink um, monsters and Red Bulls on top of being um, high off like you know 100 milligrams of Adderall I'd, I'd take caffeine so as you can see I was very 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 sick and, uh, yeah, no one knew. Everyone just knew I was getting really thin. Um, the bones in my back were starting to show. And, you know, of course, I, I had everything I thought I wanted. Um, I was in the t- hot sorority, whatever, the top sorority at school. I was I had great grades. I graduated cum laude or whatever. Um, um, but after junior year, uh, I, I hit another bottom. And I couldn't take Adderall anymore. I was just shaking all the time. I couldn't sit still. I couldn't do anything for longer than five minutes. I really couldn't. Um, so I thought, again, of course, I didn't learn from the first time, and I um, was like, okay, I can't do this. I can't put up this face anymore. I can't walk around campus in my story. I can't, like, I can't do this. I just had a mental, complete mental breakdown. The closest thing I've ever experienced, I think it was a panic attack. Um, I was in my bed one day, and I just I just started crying uncontrollably, shaking uncontrollably. I called my mom, and I told her I wanted to die. Um, and I think what was happening was I was withdrawing from the Adderall. Um, even just being on, like, 40 to 50, it, I just couldn't do it. Um, so uh, that day, I decided I was going to go study abroad in Germany. Right. <laughs> so, again, my answer, again, uh, was I was going to run away, and that was going to solve the problem because in Europe, Europe is where everyone goes to find themselves and, and become happy and, and, you know, Europe. It's Europe. How can I not get better? I really, I believed it, though. I, I really did from all the movies. And, and I just, I studied art for so long, so I just, you know, I, it would heal me for sure. So I moved away to Germany, and uh, lo and behold, I um, signed up, I paid extra for a single in an apartment. Um, and I took about eight different um, eating disorder books. I didn't know that 12-step programs existed at the time. And I took, uh, I filled my, my, my luggage with books, and uh, I'd go to class. I'd walk to class and, again, had to learn about my surroundings. I knew nobody, knew no one in the program. Um, luckily, it was a program for my school, and the group was small, fairly small, about 20 people. And um, 
all my age. I was one of the older ones because nobody studies for the second semester of senior year. You know, it's like, stay. Unless if you're mean, you want to run away. So I did that, um, and I go to class, and I put on my face again and be like, yeah, great. I was I was in this sorority, and how do you know? It's like, how do you know this? Part? Like, you know, it's like, like it even matters. And I just, I play the part that people expected, and then I go to my room, and I binge on eating disorder books, trying to figure out why the fuck I was like this. Because that's all I knew. I mean, I had no solution. I had no, I, God, like what? Um, and at this point, I, I, I couldn't, I was just hitting, this low was even um, worse than the first low. This bottom was just awful. Um, and Germany's even colder than Boston, so it sucked. North faces are like, I would have to wear like, I'd literally wear four, two layers of North faces and two extra layers because it's so, so cold in Germany. I mean, it's Eastern Europe. And I don't know what I was thinking. I'm from Southern California, so. <laughs> um, and when I wasn't uh, starving or reading eating disorder books, uh, starving was the best thing I knew to uh, control my binging. So restricting uh, was better than binging for me. Um, and when I, I traveled to eight countries, um, and actually, it, it probably was the most, um, I actually was there for it because I was in so much pain, um, withdrawing from Adderall. I didn't want to ask anyone else for help. I didn't want to admit that I had a problem. So, um, I just said I would do it myself. So I, I, right before I left, I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And then I, of course, right before I left, I got three months worth of Adderall prescribed to me. And I was like, oh, fuck this. I'm going to take it. Um, and then I started taking it, and then I was like, no, I can't, I, I can't, my heart, I thought I was going to, I thought I was ha- going to have a heart attack, I seriously did, so I, I threw it away, and I went to Europe, and I completely withdraw, withdrew from um, Adderall from taking that many milligrams, 150, up to that, that point, I think it was 150 milligrams a day, um, so I was, you can imagine, um, Adderall gives you, makes you like this, it really makes your heart beat crazy, and so the anxiety I had was completely exacerbated by um, my Adderall. Um, so I was in severe anxiety and severe depression when I was in Germany because, um, I didn't have any drugs anymore. Um, and I cried almost every day that I was, I mean, thank God my cousin was studying abroad in Amsterdam at the same time and she was the only person on the same, um, time, whatever, because it was like 13 hours ahead. So I'd go home and I'd read Skype and I would just cry. And she had no idea what the fuck was going on. She just thought, she didn't understand. She didn't know I had an eating disorder. She didn't know I was withdrawing up. Nobody knew. Nobody. So people just thought I had, like, I don't know. They probably just thought I was really emotionally unstable, like crazy. I don't even know what the people thought. Um, but I was severely depressed and crying all the time. I, I'd break out crying for no reason, you know. It's getting off the drugs was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And I... I um, I knew I was, you know, smart addicts are the worst kind because you can always negotiate your uh, your recovery. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about where I'm at now. So I came in a program um, right after I came back from Germany, and I was completely on my knees. Um, literally the first or second meeting I got to, meant to, um, I asked Rachel to sponsor me. Um, well, she was kind of a temporary sponsor. She was super busy, and so it was... Her service to me was amazing, taking the time out of her day, and so I kind of was just figuring out what abstinence meant. You know, I didn't under, I didn't have a belief in higher power. I went to church a few times, and you know, I, I went to I grew up going to church here and there. Um, didn't have a relationship with a higher power, um, and then I found I, I started working with Paris Stu, um, who took me through steps one, two, um, and I learned so much from both of them. Um, 
And st- but still, you guys, I was totally in my will. I didn't want to give it over. I still wanted to do it on my terms. Still, after everything that I just told you guys and then seven months of program, still my will. Half measures. Um, and then uh, and then I met Michael, and he uh, had what I wanted. And um, at first I was like, oh, male sponsor, is that weird? I don't know. <laughs> and, um, but it, it didn't matter. I didn't care what he was. I just know that he had what I wanted, not just with the food, just with life. Uh, and so I started working with him. And um, I did everything that he told me. Uh, and he, I would come in and we'd do step work and I'd sit on his living room floor and I'd read him my step work. And he's like, Jane, God has a plan for you. God loves you. You don't have to worry about anything. And I, I was like, okay. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't understand. Like, I just, I didn't have, uh, I, did, I wasn't able to, I didn't get it at all. I, did, I was like, what does God have to do with this? Like, I don't understand. Um, and now I do, because if you read the steps, it's, uh, you know, they only mention food half of the first step. So, um, we admitted we were powerless over food, dash that our lives have become unmanageable. Nowhere else in the steps does it talk about food. Nowhere. Um, the rest of the steps address the wreckage of our past, address our character. Um, food is just a minor symptom, um, because at the end of the day, uh, it's a mind power disease. It has nothing to do with food. Food was just, um, when it comes down to it, it had to do with my lack of self-love and self-esteem. That's what the core problem with this disease was. Um, and when I put down the food, I started to uh, build a new character. And, you know, every day, every single day I wake up with an alcoholic mind. Um, every day. There's no solution. I mean, there's no cure. I'm sorry that there is a solution. <laughs> there's no cure. Um, and so... Every day, you know, it's, I know I'm, I know you guys are probably like, you know, she's so young, what, what you know, like I, I, and I am, I'm 23 years old, um, but what I've learned working in this program is age is irrelevant, how much abstinence I have, irrelevant, um, what matters is me getting up in the morning, knowing that I have a disease that's incurable, getting on my knees and praying, third, seventh, eleventh step, Asking God, I write prayers on my on a flashcard and, and put them on my wall right by my door, so when I walk out, I can know, I can always remember that anything I have today is because of God. Um, and and recovery is right now the, the choices that I make today because I know now that I have a choice. Uh, character defects aren't a part of my personality; um, they are part when I they come up when I'm in my addiction. They have nothing to do with my personality, and I it's my choice whether or not I want to engage in them. And so for me to um, so, you know, I talked about where I came from, and um, today my life is honestly so different. I I have never been happier, and I've never had more serenity in my life. The food is, is a non-issue, but I send it in every single day. I'm accountable for it every single day. I send in a gratitude list every day, and I do a 10-step every day, and I send it in. I do steps one, two, and three every day, not just around food, but um, everything in my life. I'm powerless. I can't. God can, step two, I'll let God, just turn it over, that's it, with anything. Um, There was a period in my life where I I got a job and I hated it, and I was working um, in in TV production as an office assistant, and Michael made me stay at that job for like five months or something, and I'd call him every morning complaining, basically, and I couldn't stop uh, downing Diet Cokes and eating Nutrigrain bars because I was no longer eating sugar. 
And um, eventually I quit that job, uh, and I remember I wanted to be a makeup artist. And so I remember after I fi- – he let, finally was like, okay, quit, after like five months of me calling him every day, obsessing about Diet Cokes and Nutri-Green bars. The closest thing I had to, to sugar. And um, and I sat on his, his floor, and I was like, Michael, what – like, okay, I want to be a makeup artist. I never went to school. I don't know. What am I going to – like, I don't know. Like, how is this going to manifest for me? You know, I have no idea. But, again, just just like – God, you've taken care of me this far. Like, you've changed my life so much this far, and um, I'm just going to keep taking the next right action. And um, this year, and it's been eight months since I quit my job and pursued makeup, and this year I I did the Oscars and the Grammys. Um, And every single uh, career goal that I had for myself in the next five years um, has come true within eight months. Um, and that has nothing to do with me because there are plenty of talented makeup artists in this uh, in LA. Um, so I just, you know, this program is, has completely changed my life. And I just, I wanted to read one more thing before I, I close um, from the big book. We had to ask ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our human problems the same readiness to change our point of view. We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. When we saw, when we saw others solve their problem by a simple reliance upon the spirit of the universe, we had to stop doubting the power of God. Our ideas did not work, but the God idea did. When we became alcoholics, crushed by a self-imposed crisis we could not postpone or evade, We had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or else he is nothing. God either is or he isn't. What was our choice to be? And every day when I make that choice to choose God over my own will, over my ego, my arrogance, um, I have an amazing life of serenity, I think. Um, I sponsor three women um, who I'm so humbled by and who teach me so much and and really they keep me abstinent. Um, And... I, I remind myself um, and them every day that this isn't a con- it, recovery isn't convenient ever. It's very inconvenient. In fact, one of my sponsors calls me at 7:30 in the morning. You know, like I'm 23. What 23 year olds my age are partying? Like, you know, like that's all I want to. You know, it's like it's true, but it's not. It's not convenient. Um, it takes a lot of work and a lot of commitment. Um, but ultimately, it's it's your life. Um, no one else can do it for you. It's only you can show up for yourself. So um, I, I guess I'll just end there. Thank you so much. Um, am I supposed to ask for questions? Uh, the question was, thank you, Lucy. Uh, the question was, how has um, working the steps changed my relationship with my parents? That's such a funny question because all I would do in the beginning was complain to my sponsor about how I hated my mom my relationship with my mom, because, of course, that's where it started, was with my mom, you know. Um, and when I stopped looking at my mom and started looking at my own shit, <laughs> that's when it started, honestly, because I loved blaming everyone else, but I never wanted to look at my part. Um, and usually that's what happens is when, when we start looking at our own parts and, and problem, it just clears up on its own, and you can really accept, hey, this is... They're, this is how they are. I'm going to accept them. But as long as I keep my side of the street clean, it's all good. You know what I mean? Um, so when I started to really change my character, and for me that's what this program is about, building a new character every day, every single day. That's that's all I want um, because that's how I get stay abstinent. 
Um, and so when I started to really focus on letting go of my, go of my old character, asking God to remove my defects every day, you know, my creator, you, you, I, I now um, wish that you should have all of me good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Um, my character defects keep me separate from you guys, keeps me my ego, um, my defiance, and it keeps me from God. Because if I'm in my character defects, I, God can't work in my heart, in my life, at all. Um, so when I started looking at my part and cleaning up my side of the street, everything worked itself out. Yeah, I got amnesia, too. Um, as you can see, I ran away twice to cold countries and then a colder country. And then, <laughs> you know, I, I, I can completely relate to that. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Um, how do I remember to stay surrendered every day? Because um, oftentimes addicts um, forget. Um, I stay surrendered every day by getting humbled. Because uh, when I think that anything that I've had has happened in my life, anything that's happened to me working the Grammys Oscars, if I think that that was me, are you kidding? I will lose my abstinence in a second. A second. Um, because I know what it's like when I'm controlling my life. I, I just told you guys. And it's not pretty. Um, so when I remember that it's God and that my abstinence is, is by His grace, then it's, it's much easier to stay surrendered and um, have faith. But getting on my knees really helps because the physical action of getting on my knees and humbling myself and saying, God, I can't do this alone. Um, I don't, half the time, I don't really know what I'm doing or what next month is going to look like. Um, but please just be with me. Help me to just take the next right action and be okay with not knowing. Um, and when I just... And that's why we have sponsors, because self doesn't reveal self to self. Like, if it were my way, I mean, you know. So, yeah, I hope that helps. Okay, thanks, guys.